Hi, everyone. My name is Jeff. I'm an alcoholic. Grateful to AA for being sober today. Thanks, everyone, for coming to the meeting. Um, I always start my shares with a line in the big book because that basically describes my alcoholism. Alcohol gave me wings to fly and then alcohol took away the sky. I, uh, I had a love affair with the beverage and uh, I was a periodic. Uh, I used to drink on the weekends and then it moved up during college and started on Wednesday night and uh, went to Sunday night. So I guess you could say I, I became a, a daily drinker pretty much. Um, you know, uh, besides uh, definitely take, removing the phenomenon of craving and uh, um, being able to be comfortable in my own skin, I think the greatest gift that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me is the power of now, to live in the moment, to live in the present, and uh, to not live in guilt of the past and fear of the future. So I'm going to just share a little bit uh, what it's like now, because uh, that's what's most important to me today. Um, and... Uh, you know, I guess I should uh, be honest and change my name from, well, the, the location to Los Angeles, because uh, as of Thursday of last week, I uh, uh, left, I gave 30, not 30 days notice to uh, my uh, landlord and, uh, you know, last Thursday, um, I left Santa Barbara. I, I, I could not find a place in uh in 30 days, um, you know, uh, some of the some of the ads are um, wanted uh, Christian female, uh, full time job, early 20s, maybe 30s. Well, I'm an atheist. I don't have a full time job. I'm 60. And uh, so, I, you know, I don't exactly qualify for, for a lot of the ads. Um, but, at, uh, you know, I'm going to keep looking, keep doing the footwork. Um, I'm staying with my sister and her husband in Los Angeles. And I'll, I'll come, I'll revisit my, my relationship with her a little later. And, um, you know, last week, Thursday, uh, I, I had uh, arranged with people you know, Alcoholics Anonymous can help people in so many different ways. So I called up uh, this uh, uh, sober living house called All Star. And I said, I need, a, I need a couple guys to help me move some furniture and a, and a futon. Like, I don't know, man, 300 pound futons, pretty heavy. And uh and this guy said, let me, let me check around. And sure enough, this guy called me and he said he'd be there at 11 on Thursday. Sorry, 10 o'clock on Thursday. Well, at 10.10, I called him and he's, he's got 90 days of sobriety. And he goes, oh, shit, I forgot. I'm having a haircut, but I'll be there at 11. And he came at 11. Uh, I was told he was bringing a truck. He didn't bring a truck. I was very fortunate that my sister had lent me her SUV. So he put the stuff in the, uh, 
in the SUV. And then he had to leave. He had to go to a doctor's appointment. So I had to go to this uh, recycling dump place, which was really trippy. I mean, all these trucks go in there and these bulldozers and they watering down the dust and you just throw all your stuff into a pile. I mean, this pile is, I don't know, it could be 10, 15 feet high and uh, 20, 30 yards long. And, uh, and I did all that, you know, uh, it was very difficult. I, you know, I was concerned I had permanent damage to my back, but it's healing. But I don't deal with stress very well, or I internalize stress, let's put it this way. And it, and, and it just so happened on Thursday, I got a, I, what I thought was a spider bite on my left elbow. Okay, life goes on. The next day, on Thursday, the day I'm doing the whole moving, I got another spider bite on my right elbow. I'm like, nah, spiders aren't that smart. They that's too much of a coincidence. And uh, now I'm looking at about, I don't know, eight rashes on my knees and my arms. And that's uh, an actual condition that's caused by stress. So, you know, my, my arms are burning and I'm, and I'm doing all this moving stuff. And uh, it was one of the hardest days of my life, but I just had to like break it down into hours and, uh, and just do everything that I had to do. I mean, uh, I dropped some stuff off at somebody's house, drove back 20 miles. And then I had to realize that I had to uh, like disassemble a desk. So I had to drive back to go get my screwdriver you know just uh life on life's terms difficult things that uh that i had to take care of and uh so i i moved a lot of my things to my sister's house and uh i'm in los angeles uh it's not santa barbara but you know i'm not homeless i'm not uh i have a, I have a you know a beautiful bed and a very nice house that i'm living in so I should not be complaining at all. So, you know, everybody's got his story, her story. I got my story. So I'll just start at the beginning and just go through a few things. What happened, what it was like and what it's like now. Um, I was born in South Africa in 1962. I lived there for the first 15 years of my life. I learned uh, one major emotion in retrospect, and that was from my parents. Uh, I learned the, the emotion of fear, you know, um, and uh, it certainly was not false evidence appearing real. It was real evidence, fearful. Um, my parents, you know, from probably the age of five told, uh, told me that uh, it's gonna be a race war and that, uh, and, uh, they were, and, and by extension, I became very fearful of black people, even though we had a gardener who lived in, you know, in a room of our house and a maid. And, um, and then also uh, on top of that, I had to fear my parents because uh, especially my mother, my mother was a child abuser. I found that out one day when I came to America and I was watching Phil Donahue and they had this program about child abuse and I go that's me um she would hit me with anything and everything she'd get her hands on uh I, I had to do things perfectly or there was going to be consequences punishment 
Um, I spent a lot of time in my, in my room because I was sent to my room like for four hours, for six hours, and, uh, and learned how to, I guess, just uh, entertain myself in my, in my own mind. And, uh, and I did a lot of reading. Um, my father, uh, you know, uh, he, he was a smart man. He went to uh, Harvard, he got an MBA. Uh, but he certainly did not wear the pants in the family. Um, he, uh, he was a good analyst and uh, he had a little poem that he taught me when I was young and it went like this, uh, good, better, best, never shall I rest till my good is better and my better best. So perfection was basically the standard in, 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 our, in our house and uh, um, yeah, you know, I used to tell people, you know, in my family, uh, an A is average, a B is bad, and a C is crap. And I used to uh, measure my self-worth by whether I got A's or B's or C's. And uh, uh, C's were not acceptable. They really weren't. So, um, you know, um, it, it just uh, the one story I want to tell about living in South Africa was, which, which is something that only during Zoom have I actually been sharing about it and come to terms about it. Uh, it was never discussed. Uh, one day we went to see a play at, uh, at the high school when I was about 12 years old. And we had a big house with uh, a six foot, eight foot wall with glass that was put on top of the wall, pieces of cut glass so people couldn't get in. But I don't know, the gate was not locked. It wasn't a gate, it was a big wooden door, was not locked. And we walked up maybe about 50 yards in the garden and then came to the front door, which was wide open. And uh, my father had an office like with French windows and they were all smashed out. and. We just stood like deer in the headlights. And then this guy ran out the house and he had uh, about 10 or 12 of my father's suits on his one shoulder. And he had a clock that my father had gotten on a business trip to Zurich in Switzerland. And he also just stood there like frozen and, uh, you know, fear, fuck everything and run. Uh, it was, it was my, my mother, my father, and my sister. And, uh, my father like picked up one of like the pool chairs and uh, I just ran. I ran to the neighbor's house and uh, told him what had happened. But I was, uh, you know, after that, I was very ashamed that I'd left my, my family just standing there. Uh, thankfully, um, nothing happened to them because uh, the guy just uh, dropped everything and ran. And uh, when talking to my sister afterwards, she said he couldn't have been more than 19 or 20 years old. Um, we were lucky. Um, my, my aunt, uh, she came home with uh, her four kids in an SUV and uh, like opened the driveway. And uh, before she was able to close it, these guys came in and uh, they, had, they had guns and they, and they told the family to get out of the SUV, which they did. And they drove away, but they shot. I shot my aunt and she died. 
So uh, here's a little story to this, you know. So her uh, widow, her husband, um, was was left with four kids, and then I guess uh, maybe about a year later, he met somebody. He met a woman who had four kids, and so they were on the front. Who was also a widower, and so they were on the front of the South African newspaper, and it said. Uh, Eight is enough, you know, because uh, they, they joined and they got married. But uh, so we left South Africa in uh, 1977 because um, I would have had to go to the army and my parents did not want me to go to the army, which was extremely difficult. And uh, plus, um, my parents did not want me to, to, to fight for South Africa. They were against mm -hmm. apartheid. And so we came to America, which for me was like going from, you know, Sunday school to Disneyland. I mean, it was just uh, amazing how much freedom I found in this country. Uh, they wanted me to have a very good education. So they, they, we got a small apartment in Beverly Hills and I went to what I call Beverly Hills Get High School because uh, there was, a amazing amount of drugs and alcohol uh um you know done by by the students in, the, in that school and um i got on the tennis team um on my book bag i had written tennis isn't a matter of life and death it's much more important than that and winning was super important to me i again you know i i judge my my inner self, my, uh, my self-worth by whether I won or I lost. And I'd go into terrible depressions when I lost uh, matches. Um, one day coming back from a town about 35, 40 miles from LA called Agura on the bus, somebody lit a joint. I smoked it and I was off to the races. I'd also started drinking uh, uh, Michelob because there was an ad, you know, Michelob is made for the weekends. And uh, um, I just, uh, I love the effect of alcohol. It, uh, you know, it, it, it made me, there's a guy in Santa, in Santa Barbara and he's got this, uh, this expression and it's kind of, it's ironic that I'm saying this in a, in a, I, I, you know, not that we agnostic atheist meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, uh, alcohol reminded him of uh, as if it was a warm hug from God. And alcohol became my higher power, no question about it. Um, you know, I, I, I could never control my drinking. The third beer wanted a fourth beer and the seventh beer wanted an eighth beer. And, and then I found out that I could, I didn't have to drink as much. And uh, I, I so enjoyed uh, 151 rum, uh, Johnny Walker, um, Jack Daniels whiskey. And, uh, and then, and, and, and I guess now that I think about it, my most favorite hard alcohol was tequila because I used to be able to go no matter what to uh, happy hours, uh, you know, not, like three, four times a week and food was free. So you, you got to eat a lot of, you know, I got to eat a meal and then pay and then buy alcohol. 
and and just drink pitchers of margaritas. Um, you know, I blacked out when I was drinking, and uh, one of the most uh, shameful events in my life was uh, blacking out one night. I was probably about twenty-one, still living at home with my parents. I think I'd been. I'd actually been kicked out of this dorm that I was living in for for drinking too much and and you know um, causing mischief. So I blacked out, and uh, the next thing I see is my parents turning on the light in my room, and I'm urinating in the corner. And I just like looked at them and the the, the shock on their face, and I just said I couldn't find the light switch. That to me seemed like a good enough reason. Um, my parents, uh, my mother brought me to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting uh, after I went to a psychiatrist. And, uh, you know, uh, my father used to drink. He used to drink uh, two max, three drinks a night, every night. He was a very controlled person. Um, and, uh, and I and 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 I just when I went to the psychiatrist, I said, well, I just drink like 21 shots on the weekend. What's the difference? He drinks 21 shots a week. And they were like saying, no, you can't do that. And uh, they, you know, there's certain consequences for blacking out and uh, throwing up. I used to throw up as well, but that didn't bother me. I just thought it was part, you know, par for the course, one of the side effects. And uh, so they took me to a meeting and uh, I remember it like it was yesterday because on the, on the way home, I, I jumped out of a, my mother's moving car and I, I kid you not, there, uh, it, it, there was a bus coming and if I had tripped, I would not be speaking tonight. Um, it, was, it was, you know, it was very reckless what I did, but I just thought at that moment that my life was over because in the meeting they had given people cakes and birthday cakes for years of sobriety. Well, in South Africa, if you if you took a cake for more than if, if if you got a birthday cake after you were 12 years old, you know, you were a sissy, I guess uh there's another word that I could use, but I'm not going to. Um and uh so you know I just I didn't get it. I didn't understand how important how difficult it is for someone to get a year of sobriety for someone to get you know a cake for five years 10 years uh but uh but i certainly learned uh subsequently so um yeah i i i grudgingly started going to meetings uh i went to this group in uh, about three miles from my house in uh, in Brentwood, California, called the Pacific Group, and uh, I had long hair and a beard. And at at that meeting, uh, they had rules, and, mo and one of the rules is you're supposed to be uh, clean shaven. Uh, they had a lot, quite a lot of other rules, you know, like uh, women who went up to the podium to to share had to wear dresses, men had to wear a coat and tie. Look at the meeting gets 700 people every week. And uh, the meeting was, was run by, by a gentleman named Clancy, who was, who was renowned in, 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 certainly in American AA. 
And, uh, you know, I listened to phenomenal speakers, um, but uh, I was 22 and I just, uh, I just thought that, uh, you know, I wasn't willing to do the work. I, I was so shut down emotionally and uh, didn't trust anyone. Um, and, and there again, you know, I came from South Africa, which had so many rules, draconian rules for, for things you can do, things you couldn't do. And so um, it was it was very difficult for me, and uh, I didn't I didn't stay with that group uh, for for long. I, I I moved on to the West Side Olano Club, which was uh, very cool because um, the people there were different, and uh, they talked about doing fives, doing dimes, and nickels and dimes and I was like what is that and they go five years in jail ten years in jail um they had a lot of tattoos and uh they they cursed a lot um and uh you know I hadn't done any of those but they they accepted me and uh that became my home group for, for quite a while um I uh I did meet a woman uh, at, at the West Side Alano Club and uh, she, she was sharing from the podium. You had to walk up, this was a long room, maybe, maybe fit uh, 40 people at the most, I would say. Uh, but uh, you'd have to walk up to a podium and you'd, and, and you'd share from the podium and had a microphone and everything. And uh, this woman walked up there and she shared that, uh, she used to do tricks. She was a hooker. She was a prostitute on Hollywood and in Hollywood and Vine in Los Angeles. And she said, uh, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not proud of it. That was then. And this is now. And I just and she was like, just she had such a like a beautiful face and her eyes were wide open. And I just couldn't believe somebody could say that from the podium, you know, and uh, I was starting to do the steps and uh, I got to page 69 and talk, talks about doing a sexual inventory. And I just asked her if I could do it with her. And she said, yes. And then uh, after I did that, she said, uh, it was kind of funny. She goes, you know, you're not going to ever sleep with me. And I was like, yeah, I know, I know. And so uh, she said, I think now it's time for you to get a male sponsor. And I did. And uh, you know, I worked the steps in order and uh, they uh, they certainly uh, transformed me. I don't think that I'm the, that I'm the person today that I was then. Uh, I used to think that, the you know, the world owed me. I used to think that I was the center of the universe. And I certainly don't think that today. Um, with regards to. Uh, you know, humility. Um, I don't have to think less of myself, but I do think about myself less today. Um, I really like the line in the big book on page 20. It's amazing. I, 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 only, I only found it, um, you know, a couple years ago. I mean, it's, it was always there and, and it talks about being it says, you know, being uh, an ex-problem drinker, 
I'm an ex-problem drinker because the problem of drinking has been removed for decades. Our, so it goes, being an ex-problem drinker, our very lives depend on the constant thought of others and how we can help them meet their needs. And, and that has really helped me in the last couple of years, no question about it. Um, you know, and that, that, that ties into to being of service um, to, uh, you know, when asked to, uh, to speak or to, or, or to help somebody uh, to, just, to say yes, you know, as much as possible. Um, there are times when it's an exception, but, uh, you know, the, uh, I really like uh, the, 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 the declaration of responsibility which, uh, you know, states uh, um, when anyone anywhere reaches out for help, I want the hand of AA always to be there and for that I am responsible. Um, so, you know, I'm just going to go back and say that, uh, you know, I, I, in early AA, uh, they, they, always, they always talked about how my ego had to be smashed. But there's some people in AA, and I'm, I think I'm definitely one of them, whose ego was smashed already and, need to be, and needed to be built up. Because, uh, you know, uh, my, my mother always used to say to me that I'm, you know, you're a mess. Um, you know, you're a piece of shit. I mean, uh, it, uh, it, it didn't do good, very good for oneself. Uh, um, demeanor and uh, self-worth, but uh, yeah, you know, um, I, I, think it's, it, I think it's important to have a healthy ego, but, uh, but not to control people. Um, it just reminds me of a story of uh, this guy, <laughs> his name was Danny, and uh, you know, he, he led a meeting um, on Friday nights in Westlake Village, about 300 people used to come. And uh, he, he had been like, you know, he would kind of like handpick who would be the next secretary or he would work it out so that, that this person got elected. And this other thing that he did was he would blow this shell to start the meeting. I don't know why, it was just his thing. And then some other, you know, people with a lot of time came up to him and said, you know, listen, we're doing away with the shell. We don't want, we don't want you blowing it anymore. And he had been coming to that meeting every, every week for, for seven, for seven years, uh, you know, once a week for seven years. And uh, when he was told that he never came back to the meeting. So, um, you know, I've just learned to be, uh, to hopefully just be a, uh, a worker among workers and to be right-sized. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous definitely has taught me that. Uh, like, right, I have to remember right now, you know, I'm living in my sister's house with her husband. And uh, my father really, really liked him because he's super successful attorney. Um, you know, they've, they've got four kinds of olive oil in their kitchen cabinet i don't you know four kinds of olive oil it's kind of strange but uh so you know i i i've 
I've at times judged my insides with his outsides. I mean, you know, this guy, this guy probably makes, I'm trying to, trying to work it out, but uh, yeah, probably, you know, like in a week, he, uh, he definitely makes in a month what I used to make in six months. So, you know, he's a very wealthy guy. And anyway, uh, he deserves it. He did the, did the work and he's got the clients and uh, um, he's done the footwork. Um, you know, I wanted to touch on sponsorship for, for a little bit, because like I was telling you, I did my sexual inventory with a woman and then I, and I got a sponsor and, uh, and I worked the steps and uh, the sponsor that I got, uh, he, he was sponsoring maybe about 10, 15 other people. And when I was at his house, the phone would ring constantly and he was always, always doing service work. and. I used to think that, that that used to be the goal, to be like Gaston, my sponsor. He, he passed away just short of his 41st birthday in AA uh, about 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, everybody's got their story. Everybody's got their situation. And uh, everything's relative because, I, 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 you know, he, he was... He was like the man of Thousand Oaks. Everybody knew Gaston. Everybody went to him with problems regarding, you know, how to work steps and things. And uh, he never told me, uh, you know, I didn't know that much about his story until one day he actually came up to Santa Barbara to, to speak at a meeting. And he was telling the story about when he was um, in his uh, mid-20s and... Uh, he was driving his car and, uh, you know, he used to hide bottles uh, everywhere and he hid one under the seat of his car. And he came to a stop sign and uh, it was, uh, he found it necessary to have a swig of the alcohol. Uh, and so he reached underneath his, the, his, the seat to, to get the bottle and his foot went from the brake to the acceleration and he killed a 12-year-old little boy. So that's his story. I didn't kill anybody, okay? I was in one fight in my life, and I lost. Um, and, but, but now I understood why he had to do what he had to do. You know, that was his living amends to Alcoholics Anonymous, to, 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 to the world, you know? And... Uh, um, one other thing that was really amazing about him that I never knew until I knew it, you know, uh, I used to go to his house all the time and we'd sit in the living room and stuff. And then one day he asked me to go get something from his room and I went into his room and it was, you know, he's, he was from uh, uh, Ecuador and his father was very high up in the, uh, in, 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 you know, in politics. And, uh, and on the wall in his room was a cross and on the cross was this man. And I was like, I couldn't believe that he was like such a devout Catholic Christian, you know, but uh, live and learn, live and learn. And uh, um, yeah, he was, he was a great guy and he helped a lot of people. Um, so I just wanted to share uh, probably last is, uh, you know, um, 
I've I've had uh, I've had the opportunity and the privilege of uh, sponsoring uh, a few people, not 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 you know, not 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 hundreds by any means, <laughs> probably you know 10, 15. Uh, some say sober, some didn't. But to hear somebody read a, a fourth step to you, you know, do, I mean, you know, to do the fifth with somebody is uh, what I call, you know, one of the most spiritual events of my life. You know, I don't know, I don't know really what spirituality is today, except the most spiritual thing I can ever do is not take the first drink. And um, I, I had a lot of service commitments. Um, at 27 years of sobriety in 2014, uh, a lot of events happened in that year, which were, which were quite uh, fortuitous to me. I do not call them miraculous. Um, number one is uh, I, I started reading a lot about uh, Richard Dawkins and uh, Sam Harris. And I was sitting at my computer one day and I said out loud, there is no God. And I, I'd always um, had a dilemma in my mind. There was a lot of cognitive dissonance about like how, I, you know, I pray and something comes true for me or good things happen in my life. My higher power is working. But, you know, why, why, are, uh, why do 25,000 people die every day from hunger? You know, why, why are people bo born deformed? And probably the, the most personal thing that, you know, is like, I was born, I, I'm not, I don't know if I was born with it or I, I or it, 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 it manifested later in my life, but I know for a fact that I'm a double trudger. I do have bipolar disorder, bipolar one. Um, twice in my life, I've, uh, this was, thank goodness, you know, back when I was, uh, in my early 20s, I uh, basically didn't move from a bed for or a room for three months. And uh, I lost tremendous amount of weight. And uh, I had no, you know, nothing. No, there was no pleasure in my life at all. It was like, a, like there's a book called A Holiday of Darkness and no question about it. And then mania, mania is, uh, is, is, is wicked too, because I've, uh, you know, not slept for three weeks, um, you know, had to, go, had to be hospitalized in uh, 1984 and uh, also again in 1987. 1987 was the worst because uh, I had been going to the West Side Alano Club and I'd had a couple, had a couple years of sobriety and I, uh, and I stopped taking my meds and I ended up in, in, in a mental hospital and the doctor said to me, and I was totally psychotic. And the doctor said to me, uh, you know, I don't think you're clean and sober. So we're going to do a, a urine test, a blood test. They both came back negative. And he goes, well, Jeff, now you've got a bigger problem because it's, it's in your mind. It's, it's in your, you, you have a chemical imbalance and you have to go back on your meds. And I listened to this guy because he had 12 years of sobriety. And uh, so I digress uh, for a minute there. 
So yeah, I was talking about. So you know, I I don't know why why any kind of uh, higher power would would create any illness, but you know, I mean, COVID. I mean, you know, but bipolar is it's wicked. That's all I can say about it from my from my personal experience. You know, I wouldn't wish it on my kids. I wouldn't wish it on on, on my worst enemy. Um, so. I was sitting at my computer and I read this article, why doesn't God heal amputees? And I said out loud, there is no God. And I really, at that moment, uh, was, con was thinking to myself, how am I gonna now navigate Alcoholics Anonymous? And the next day I went, and, I was, and, and for that, the rest of that day, I felt like I was on a roller coaster going downhill with no end. And the next day I went to the market and sure enough, there was Jerry. Jerry had 38 years of sobriety. And I went up to him and I started telling him my sad story. And Jerry goes, what's the big deal? God, group of drunks. And I just had such a, you know, I'd heard that saying before, but it didn't, you know, it didn't register that, 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 that day. And so um, that was great. That was really good. And then in that same year, 2014, uh, someone just called me up and said, uh, do you want to go down to Santa Monica? There's going to be the uh, first we agnostic atheist free thinker convention. And I said, sure. And we went down there and uh, Joe C was there. And uh, it was it was like watching I'd be, you know, AA to me had been watching it in black and white. And now it was in color and it was just phenomenal um and i wish i wish i'd been there the next day to hear phyllis h speak because she was the general service manager of alcoholics anonymous and uh her, her speech is online you can get it on and and it's really beautiful this the the things she said about how this uh, this convention is one of the most important things that's ever happened in alcoholics anonymous and it's 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 uh, widening the, the you know the movement and uh, believers have a place and so do non-believers and uh, and then uh, um, in 2016 I was I was so fortunate because this guy uh, had come up from uh, Pasadena which is 103 miles away from from Santa Barbara to start a we agnostic meeting. And uh, the two of us just hit it off so well. And we started with two people and, and, at this Unitarian church. And then we had four people and it fluctuated in the, you know, in single digits. And just before COVID, we had 16 people in a small little room, you know, four, each, each side had four people and it was, and it was phenomenal. Um, and, uh, and I learned so much in, uh, uh, you know, in that, in that meeting, uh, and, uh, the camaraderie was, was so wonderful among us. Um, unfortunately, this person, this person who drove yet, he had 12 years at the time. And, uh, um, he then started the Santa Barbara meeting on zoom and, uh, you know, one day at a time uh unfortunately things happened in his life and he found it necessary to drink again and uh he hasn't come back to the meeting it's been 
so upsetting to me and you know i call him he doesn't take my calls um yeah you know um there's there's no guarantees about the future in sobriety that is for sure um i think i'm going to end with uh, you know i i wanted to go back to um just you know there are a lot of super cool nuggets of wisdom in the big book if you if and and, and today i can certainly uh, take out uh, you know this 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 just for me you know this this supernatural being that that solves all your problems but you know the simple simple sayings like you know the hunch or occasional inspiration gradually become a working part of the mind that 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 certainly has happened over the years. Uh, my sobriety date is June one of eighty seven, and uh, I I that's that's the date in my big book. I had another date February 80, 1986, but I had to cross that one out because uh, I started smoking weed one day at a time, and uh, that didn't work for me. Um, I tell people that uh, you know with alcohol definitely could have killed me uh physically i mean when i stopped drinking i did not go to a rehab facility i did it by myself in a room and i had the delirium tremens there were you know imaginary insects crawling up my arms that i was scratching i uh a, a good morning is when i could light a cigarette because i was shaking so much and I really thought I'd lost my mind. I couldn't read. Um, but, you know, slowly and surely, you get 30 days, you get 60 days. I got stronger and uh, a lot of my faculties came back and they came back, you know, uh, even better than, than, than before. Uh, with weed, it was very psychological. I mean, I, I used to look in the on the carpet to find weed. I mean, I I was an addict to the to, to the max, and uh, um, I uh, I went to very dangerous places to get weed back in the eighties. It wasn't like it is today. Today, you can just go down to dispensary and get fifteen different kinds or whatever. I've never walked into one. I don't think I ever will. And. Um, you know, it's uh, it, there's a sign in the in the in the in the uh, Milano Club. Somebody had actually carved it out of wood, and it said "AA saved my life." Well, if I had carved that out of wood, I would just say "AA gave me a life," because from the age of ten until the age of twenty—sorry, not the age of ten—the age of fifteen to the age of twenty-five for ten years, I was just a walking chemical. I just wanted to change uh, my state of mind. I wanted to feel good. I wanted a buzz. I wanted a high. And, uh, and you know, unfortunately, those are the growing years. Those are the most important years in one's life when one develops a character and values. And uh, none of those were, were developed. They were developed later in AA. Uh, you know, in my 30s and, and early 40s, no question about it. Um, so another line in the big book that uh, really um, 
I try to live by. It's not easy in this day and age. And you can read into that whatever you want. Love and tolerance of others is our code. Love and tolerance of other people. And, uh, you know, uh, when I came when I came from South Africa, I was brought up racist. I was brought up homophobic. And uh, because I met black South Africans at UCLA and uh, they, I was the only white person in the South African Student Council, which had about 30, 35 members. Um, and also because I met Black people in Alcoholics Anonymous, did I, was I able to change? Was I able to transform and just, just to, to judge people as individuals? And uh, um, that, that, is, that, is, that is something I'll, I'll always be grateful for. And uh, so I want to tell two, two quick stories, and then I'm going to wrap it up. You know, um, I remember uh, in early sobriety, I was, uh, you know, I was a believer and uh, um, I, I went to uh, Ralph's. It's a, it's a grocery store in, 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 I was living in Los Angeles at the time. And uh, um, I went there, I came home, didn't have my wallet. So I went back to the store. Nobody found it. It's not in the parking lot. I've lost my wallet. And so I'm doing like the third step prayer. So I offer my wallet to thee, you know, to this imaginary God, whatever. And, uh, you know, I was able to let it go. I mean, uh, I, 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 used to, I used to lose things. And my parents, my mother used to beat me for losing stuff. And it's just part of being, I think I'm ADHD and being bipolar. So I lost the wallet and about two hours, three hours later, the phone rings and this guy's on the phone. And he goes, are you Jeff Taylor? And I go, yeah, he goes, I've got your wallet. And I said, hey, man, I, you know, you can keep the money. I just want my credit cards back. And there's a couple photos in there. And he goes, no, don't worry, man. I'll give you everything. You'll get your wallet back. But he goes, I see you have this little card in your wallet that, uh, you know, it's got the 12 steps, 12 traditions, serenity prayer on it. And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, I'm 17 days sober. Can you take me to a meeting? And I took him to a meeting that night. And that was just very cool, you know, that that that, that happened. And uh, the last story I'm just going to tell, which uh, was, was really uh, important in my life, was uh, so... It, it's, it's Wednesday at 6.30, the Santa Barbara meeting's going, and uh, there's about six guys sitting in the meeting. Uh, um, and this woman work, walks in. She, uh, she told us she was 25. I had a daughter at the time who was 25. I've got two daughters. Unfortunately, I'm, uh, I'm divorced uh, after a 30-year marriage, and uh, that's, a, that's a whole nother story. But uh, so she walks into the meeting and she's got a backpack on and she says, uh, oh, I'm from, I'm from Baltimore, but I'm trying to come and get sober in Santa Barbara. I've got four days. 
and she sits down and she listens to the to the meeting uh, you know and 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 it's and it's a weak gnostic mm -hmm. atheist meeting and after the meeting the meeting ended at 7 30 and after the meeting she said to me uh she came to me and she said but jeff she said i am a believer and i said well then you need to go to a to a traditional meeting of alcoholics anonymous and I said, uh, there's one that starts at the Alano Club. Do you want to go? Would you would you like me to take you over there? And she goes, yeah. And on the way to the Alano Club, she she says to me, in the, you know, are there going to be any women at this meeting? Because she had just come to a meeting with six guys. And I said, yeah, they're going to be women at the meeting. And she goes, it's and I and I said it's at the Alano Club. And so she goes, is there any drinking at the Alano Club? And I said, no, no, no. There's no drinking at the Alano Club. So she went to the meeting and uh, it just so happened that somebody asked her to read how it works. Uh, she got to share in the meeting and after the meeting, she came up to me and she gave me a hug that was worth all the whiskey in the world, you know? I'm just, uh, I'm grateful that, that, I could, that I could do that for her. So what I'm just trying to say is that you know, what do they say? Different strokes for different folks. Whatever works, work it. Um, I hope everybody in this room stays sober one day at a time. And uh, I, I, saw a, I saw a bumper, not a, a bumper, not a bumper sticker. It's an actual license plate. In California, you can, I don't know if you can do this in other parts of the world, but you can create your own license plate. I've seen, I've seen one which says, great. And the and the A is an eight, grateful. Anyway, I saw this one, and it says I, just four letters. It's actually three letters, I O A A. And that is basically the story of my life. Thanks for letting me share. <laughs>